FatCast Network presents The Beaver Buzz, a look inside Oregon State Athletics with your host, Bob Lundeberg. Welcome, everybody, to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast Podcast Network. This is your host, Bob Lundeberg, and I've got one thing I can promise for you guys. Today's show will be more entertaining than last weekend's Oregon State football game. Oof. It's actually, uh, it actually is kind of funny. My wife and I were in Yellowstone all weekend, and there is basically no cell, no cell phone service you know, in the entire park, which, which is absolutely great. I, I had set the OSU-Utah game to record and figured that I, I would watch it when we got back uh, Sunday evening. So we spent kind of all day Saturday looking for wolves and grizzlies and going on a couple hikes. And then we headed back to our our cabin at Mammoth Lodge and we're excited to see that the bar restaurant there had a small TV uh, and uh, as well as Wi-Fi. So the, the TV was, you know, unsurprisingly showing the LSU Florida game. And I pulled out my phone to check the OSU score. I figured, you know, depending on what the score was, yeah, I'd throw that up, watch the second half or whatever, and that might be a, a fun way to cap the evening. But when I, I pulled my phone out, I believe uh, I believe the score was 35 nothing early in the third quarter. And, uh, oh, my, those, uh, those good vibes following the UCLA win were immediately gone. So uh, I'm recording the show uh, Tuesday afternoon, and I still haven't seen the whole game, just, uh, ju- just the highlights. What what do you guys uh, what do you guys think? Is there any point for me to to watch the whole thing or do the uh, do the gruesome stats tell the whole story? And uh, based on the the reports that I read from you know Nick Dashel, Steve Grass, Jesse Sowa, and others, it sounds like uh, I probably should just go ahead and skip this one and uh, focus moving ahead because I don't think there were a whole lot of positives or really maybe much of anything to take out of this from an Oregon State perspective. To, uh, to help me understand uh, what the hell happened while I was enjoying a nice weekend in the wilderness, uh, Coin News sports contributor Marcus Greaves is going to come on the show. Greaves was a, a walk-on running back for the Beavers uh, under Mike Riley and Gary Anderson, and he's been working in media for a few years now. Marcus, uh, Marcus is not afraid to tell it like it is, for those of you who are familiar with him. So I'm sure he'll be able to, uh, to break down uh, what was uh, a very, very disappointing performance for Oregon State. And... Uh, Without further ado, let's uh, let's go ahead and bring uh, Marcus on the Beaver Buzz podcast. From Guild Coliseum to Research Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. Well, Marcus, yeah, as I explained uh, to my listeners last segment, I, I was actually in uh, in Yellowstone National Park last weekend, and uh, I, I planned to watch the game uh, off my DVR when I got back Sunday night. But you know, after seeing the uh, the, the final <laughs> score. I actually decided to go ahead and skip it. So the the highlights are, I guess, kind of the lowlights from the Oregon State perspective. Uh, th- those seemed like uh, those would be enough for me for this game. And I, for you, since, since I have not seen the full game, I guess, can you kind of explain to me what on earth happened Saturday night when Utah, you know, came in and just pulverized Oregon State? Um, you know, really an Oregon State team that was probably playing its best football of the Jonathan Smith era up until that point Saturday night. Yeah, uh, well... You know, Bob, to, to begin this is, you know, I wish I would have kind of went on vacation with you, my man. <laughs> I wish I would have went with you because uh, it was a really nice time. It was a really nice time in the park. Really good weather. Saw some cool animals. And yeah, no, no cell service or football. So it actually wasn't a bad weekend. Yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, Because let, let me tell you, man, this 
you know, you were right. I mean, Oregon State was playing um, the best they have been in the Jonathan Smith era, but I think there's a lot of things that obviously played into this game. One being is we do this, right? We do this as Oregon State followers, Oregon State fans is, you know, you get a win, right? Especially against the UCLA team. UCLA, you know, they, they get better recruits. Um, you know, they're UCLA, right? They're down in L.A. They have all these things, you know, usually going for them, obviously, with Coach Kelly and kind of the way the things are going for him. It's a little rough, but, Bob, I mean, that game, it was – you can kind of tell from the beginning. I mean, offense came out, and I, you know, I always preach is that you get your run game going, opens the pass game, pass game opens, run game opens, right? Kind of vice versa. But I think we just set the expectations a little too high after a win. I mean, don't get me wrong. I saw the game being a lot closer than it was. But, you know, I, I had in no, my, in no way that I think Oregon State was going to come get the win. But, Bob, man, there was – between offense being out of sync, um, defense just can't they, – they couldn't tackle. Too many, too many small details, right, in order to get – at least keep it close. I mean, when you play an elite team like Utah, and yes, there's good, there's great, and there's elite. Utah's defense is elite. As an offensive player, you have to know what you're going up against, right? Same thing for defense. As a defensive player, when you're going up against an elite running back like Zach Moss, I mean, I already preached it a couple times on social media, man. I mean, if you go into a game, you know, five carries, 128 yards, two touchdowns, averaging 24.2, I think it was, I mean, granted, he had a 91-yard touchdown, but, man, I mean, those are the kind of things that you just – obviously you can't do when you're going up against a great team. And, Bob, you know, you asked me kind of what happened, and basically the only thing I can tell you, man, is that Oregon State, they 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 got manhandled by a superior team. There's no, you know, X's and O's really I could break down other than the fact of, you know, Oregon State, they just – they weren't ready for that. And maybe they fed into the hype. Maybe that's my fault, too, because anyone who listens to my podcast, I know for a fact, I'm not even going to go back on my word, I really thought it was going to be a lot closer. Um, There's just a lot of things that played into it, man. Like I said, offense, they didn't play great. Defense did play great. And I will add this, Bob, before um, you know I'm done with this point is special teams. So inconsistent with Oregon State. It actually, you know, I actually have a nice full head of hair, but after that I almost ripped it all <laughs> off, man, because, you know, Someone like Jordan Chukare, who I played with, you know, he's a guy I, I've, you know, me and him are really close friends. Uh, you know, I always text him after every game. But, you know, at some point, right, you have to challenge a guy. You have to be like, hey, man, you're not doing your job. So when you don't do your job, what does that mean? Someone is going to take it. And, you know, I've defended him for a long time. And, you know, it's just disappointing to see. And I know that I know that fans are frustrated with him. I know he's frustrated with himself. So now the competition that kicker is finally open. So. A lot of things just, you know, I don't want to say a lot of things. How about I say this? Nothing went Oregon State's way in that loss, my man. Yeah, no, I mean, the stats clearly show that. And I do think we should we should definitely acknowledge. I mean, Utah, this is arguably, it might be the, it's certainly the, the toughest team in the Pac-12 South. Utah might be the best team in the entire the entire Pac-12. And, mm-hmm. and and really, I mean, entering the season, this is kind of a, a Utah team that, that, quite frankly, did have a lot of hype. So it's not really that surprising. I mean, you just look at, at Utah really on, on both sides of the ball, and I think you see it's a very veteran group with a, a lot of future NFL players, particularly on that defense and maybe even really up front. I mean, U, Utah does seem to have a lot of future pros. So I, I guess, and like you said, I mean, it's not surprising at all that the Utes um, came into Corvallis and got the win, but it just, 
it just it has to be pretty disheartening for the Beavers that they were just kind of physically dominating this matchup because, you know, they were riding high coming off that Pac-12 win at UCLA. And I do think that we've seen a lot of signs of progress, mm-hmm. you know, through the first five games on offense and on defense. And it just kind of really unraveled in a pretty spectacular way on Saturday. I just I, I, I can't see how that's not a disheartening performance for the team. Yeah, it, it, it's certainly disheartening because, you know, even from my own standpoint and, and experiences, there was a game, I think it was, I can't remember who we played before. I know we played super well against the team. This was Coach Anderson's first year, 2015. We played super well against the team the game before. I think we lost a close game. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong because I'm getting old and I can't remember. But <laughs> we came back at home, faced off against Josh Rosen, uh, that UCLA squad, and we got dubbed 48 to nothing. I think at halftime it was 31 to nothing. Uh, we couldn't get anything going offensively. Defensively, it was just obviously, as you know, poor uh, poor performance. But it was real. It was an eye-opening game, right? And those are the kind of things where you're like, wow, okay, it doesn't matter how good we play. We didn't play good today, and it showed. And I think that's a lot of the thing that what Coach Jonathan Smith has been kind of saying is, you know, if you go – no matter who it is, right? It could be Arizona. We've seen it, right? It could be Arizona. It could be Colorado. It could be UCLA even when uh, they knocked off Washington State. It doesn't matter. If you don't play a full four quarters, you can easily get blown out in this conference by anybody. And that's just, I mean, it's the truth. That's how it goes. It doesn't matter if you have a poor offense, poor defense. I mean, we saw it against, you know, with Oregon State and UCLA. UCLA beats Washington State, comes back from 38 in, uh, at the second half, right? And then you go, mm. you know, you, you're coming back home and then you play Oregon State. And I can guarantee UCLA players are like, okay, this is a win for us. This is an easy win, right? We just have to play okay and we can beat them. Oregon State jumps out 21 nothing lead. Okay, now we have to dig ourselves out of a hole. These are the kind of things, but I think for the Beavers, they can't take, they can't have that mindset with any game, no matter who it is, because you're always going to be the underdog until you get back up to the top of the Pac-12, like they, you know, they, they were years ago. And so nothing went their way, but more importantly, I was just disappointed in kind of the mentality of the players because, like I said, I still know a good amount of these guys, and yeah, I just think what what was so disheartening was seeing that you could definitely tell that they kind of took a step back, not just physically in the game, because you're obviously going to, you know, if they're a better team, then they're going to win. That's okay. That's okay. And, and that's what Coach Smith was saying. It's a, it's 100% okay because of the fact of, you know, they're still building, they're still working. Obviously, he's not happy with the performance. But the, you want to see every game your, your players take another step, whether it's mentally or physically. I thought in that game on Saturday, they took four steps back in all those categories, mentally, physically. Um, and I know they're going to say, obviously, I, I sound like the hater, but man, like those are just things that you can't do, right? I don't, I, I the thing that I <laughs> preach all the time is I really have a hard time when I see all the game day pictures, you know, it's game day, you know, time to go out and grind, time to go do this and get the win, right? All those, you know, every college football player does it on, you know, their social media, Instagram, everything like that. But man, it's, it, at some point, it, I get frustrated because it seems like these guys want to be crowned king before they conquer a castle, right? And I think that's something that I keep seeing over and over and over is that you want the notoriety, you know, you want to say, put some respect on our name, like when we beat UCLA. Okay, if you would have played decent or played okay against a team like Utah, then that's where the respect comes because people are like, all right, here comes Oregon State, you know, and even as a fan, you know, a fan standpoint, fans – I see people get so frustrated with the fans that they're not showing up to the games, but can you really blame them at this point, right? When you go homecoming, 
you have all these big time recruits there and you lay a goose egg, right? Just right in the middle of the field when, you know, 52 to seven, those are things that these players have to keep in mind because while everyone wants to blame the coaches left and right, you have to realize, man, I mean, coach Tibizar for a good example, I know I'm a little rant. I'm I'm going on a little rant right now, Bob. So I apologize. But oh, you're good. No, I like every point you've been bringing up. I think you. It's, I think it's cohesive. Keep going. Yeah, it's just. I mean, uh, a good standpoint is from Coach Tibizar, right? People say Coach Tibizar is not doing a great job by any means, but I've already preached this on my own Beaver Smack podcast. Is you know, the coaches put these players in the right position, just like that Zach Moss 91 yard touchdown. It's not like they were doing something wrong, right? It's not like. The coaches said, you know, called the wrong, called the house blitz and they ran whatever that they ran and then they scored a touchdown. No, it's the fact of the players were in the right places. So that that shows you, shows you that the coaches know exactly what is going on. The scheme was well, but it's the fact of you can't. I mean, the guy broke four or five tackles and then outran your defensive backs for a 91 yard touchdown. Those are things you can't coach. You can't coach that. You can coach the fact that they can tackle, but. Listen, man, I mean, at what point do we put this on the players compared to the coaches? Because I, I don't get me wrong, I'll always swing the players' way because I've been in that position and I understand it's frustrating. They want to win more than anybody, even more than the fans. But it's you have to take it upon yourself as a player. If you're not a good tackler, then become a good tackler. I've preached this so many times because at running back, I used to be a horrible blocker, arguably the worst blocker as a running back, without a doubt. Right? And, I was, <laughs> and I was, you know, I was one of the bigger ones. But I just I didn't like the contact. And then my coaches came to me and they were like, listen, man, you're not going to see the field unless you can block. So you better like you better find something because, you know, you're not going to be our Victor Bolden that gets the ball every play. So you have to find a way to get on the field. And I just kept blocking, blocking, blocking. I was terrible. At it, don't get me wrong. I got ran over plenty of times. And then eventually I got good enough so I could start on special teams. That's where I think that they're missing. I think they're missing the. The process. They want the prize of winning without putting, you know, without doing the process. And Coach Smith is getting that. They're getting there. They've made a lot of great progress. They have. But I just get frustrated because I saw so much progress. You know, I'm talking these players up so much. The system, you know, I defend them left and right. But, you know, when I think that they're where I, when I think that they're in the wrong, I, I think they're in the wrong, man. And that last game, like we said, Utah's a great team, but hey. You have to be, you have to come prepared. It, it just looked like a real unprofessional game for that group of kids, and it was it was really disheartening because I like the guys a lot. But you, I mean, there's nothing else you can say other than they honestly just got trashed. <laughs> I think uh, I mean you touched on a lot of things there, but I did want to discuss a little bit more about defensive coordinator Tim Tevisar because he's mm-hmm. a guy that that I certainly have criticized at times in the past, particularly mm-hmm. last year when I felt that there were too many times while the, the personnel certainly uh, up front for the Beavers last year, you know, the depth was problematic and mm-hmm. I'm not sure that they had a ton of power five guys really anywhere in the front seven. And, and I just felt that there were times when maybe Tibisar was just kind of trying to shove, you know, the square peg into the round mm-hmm. hole by running his system and not necessarily adjusting the personnel he had. But I think, you have to acknowledge that the defense is so dramatically improved this year. I mean, if, if you look at the numbers, still, I think it's eighth in the Pac-12 in total defense, which is by no means great, but it's a huge improvement over where it was a season ago. And the Beavers have also gotten a lot of tackles for loss. I believe they're second in the Pac-12 in tackles for loss. And really what we've seen from the defensive front 
I think they're much stouter this year. I think they've gotten a lot better. I really mm-hmm. like everything we've seen, for the most part, from the linebackers. Certainly the secondary is an area where Oregon State is going to need to improve. But I, I guess it just kind of my main point of all this is just what what are we kind of supposed to make of these of this defensive performance that we just saw? Because it's really clear that the offense did not help the defense out at all. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Utah still piled up 250 yards of offense in the first quarter more than 500 for the game. And as we talked about, I mean, Zach Moss busted off that 91 yard touchdown run. He, he only had five carries the entire game, but still at <laughs> yeah. 120 some yards. So it's just, I, I guess, where, where does, where do you think the defense kind of does stand? Because on one hand, they've made so much progress from last year, but you know, other, and then, I mean, I guess other than that kind of that tough out against Oklahoma state, after that, I think we saw them play a lot better. And then uh-huh. just the, the fact of the matter is it was just such a big setback on Saturday because even though Utah is a talented team, not the most dynamic, explosive offensive viewers are going to see the rest of the way. So it just it feels like from a defensive perspective, this really was just a huge, huge setback. Yeah, I and, you know, when I was saying that I was frustrated with the guys, it's because of that. It's because of the fact that mm-hmm. we saw so much progress. That's where I was like, man, you're telling me, you know, I, it, it looked like the players finally understood, like, okay, the work is there. We've put in the work, and now let's put it, let's translate it to the field, which is something I don't think that they've been doing in the past, right? And I've preached that, you know, with the last staff, it's hard to basically break these, these guys out of, out of certain habits, right? Because they don't understand truly how to win in the conference yet. And that's what Coach Smith is trying to kind of put in their head. Because he, I think he's trying to give them the confidence and everything like that. And I, like you said, Bob, they, the strides that they've made, huge. I couldn't tell you, man. I mean, if you if you would have told me, and I'm sure it's the same for you, if you would have told us last season that Oregon State was going to be ranked second in the conference for tackles for loss, man. Like I said, I don't even know. I probably would have shaved my head bald or something. I don't even know. I wouldn't I believe I would, it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. After what we but, saw, I wouldn't have believed it. No, the Fritz yeah. played well. Yeah, and they played extremely well. It's they've taken such big strides. I think it's and this is where I was saying I think sometimes I get a little greedy when I come to this since I'm such a competitor, man. Is I'm looking and obviously I'm gonna pull for my beavers more than anybody, but you know, you see that you see that game and you're just like, man, like where where was all of this that you guys previously, you know, all this previous work? And I get it, right? Every, sometimes it happens. It does. It really it truly does. I mean, sometimes you just lose games bad a good example is ohio state last season when they went to iowa what was it they got blown out it was like 41 to like 17 Iowa was obviously you know obviously iowa is not the better team than ohio state by any means but in that night they showed you know not only work execution everything that comes you know everything that comes with it i think this defense they're so much more improved and i and i preach it a lot too is as much as I say staying patient is such a virtue with this, with this, you know, group, this program right now, it's the, it's on the players too, on the coaches as well is consistency, right? It's consistency knowing that every single week guys understand their roles, guys know what they have to do. And then flip that over to the players is that the players do what they need to do. Even if that doesn't result in wins all the time, we saw that we saw the consistency that they've been, you know, applying game in and game out before this last Saturday, right? Because the defense has taken such big strides is, you know, that front seven, man, they they finally became a factor, right? They finally are getting sacks, pressure, um, you know, stopping guys behind the line. And now it's up on the defensive backs, the young guys in the defensive backfield that, okay, now it's on you guys. Now you guys have to make a change. Now you guys have to do this. I just think the defense, they've taken such big strides, but 
you're right, Bob. Saturday it was it was like four steps back, man, and and it is frustrating to see. I feel like um, just about every week on this podcast, um, I, I have to talk about OSU's need for some secondary receivers to step up because you know Isaiah Hodge was his usual self against Utah, catching eight passes for seventy-seven yards. And the rest mm-hmm. of the team caught 14 passes for 92 yards. And so it, it was announced this week that veteran receiver Jerron Bradford, who's been out all the season with a foot injury, he will, in fact, redshirt, meaning he can mm-hmm. only play in four of OSU's six remaining games. So if Bradford does come back at some point, that will undoubtedly help out. But I guess to me, it just still seems like the, the Beavers are searching kind of for reliable out options outside of Hodgins. And, you know, I know a lot's been made about the fact that quarterback Jake Luton just targets Hodgins too much, locks onto him. But, you know, I, I really think that a big part of that is because Hodgins has just established himself as such a dominant number one. And the mm-hmm. fact of the matter is I think some of these other secondary receivers just need to step up. And really, outside of a couple games, they haven't yet. And I think that is yeah. kind of holding Oregon State's offense back. Yeah, definitely. And a guy that I've kind of been preaching about because we know his playmaking ability. We've seen it, right? We've seen it in, in spurts. And you're like, my goodness, like that guy is just an athlete. Someone like Tyjon Lindsay, right? Mm-hmm. He has all the God-given talent, you know, possible. The kid is athletic. He's fast. He can jump. He has great hands, great route runner. But maybe it's – and this is where, you know, it's kind of like we need more um, – you know, yeah, I guess in a way you just have to see scheme wise because either he is, you know, running a different route combination or he is, uh, I, I guess in a way, I don't know wh- where he's gone is basically what I'm trying to say. You see the guy, he comes in, he can make the plays. We've seen him score touchdowns. We've seen him do, you know, make some great plays. But it's just the fact of where does he go at parts of the game where Isaiah Hodgins is now getting doubled? Where are we going when? You know, <clears throat> we need a big first down. Where is he at? Right. And that's a guy I know he can be that kind of guy. And Trayvon Bradford's kind of been that guy as well. It's just the fact of you're right. Guys like Tyjon Lindsay, you want to see Josiah Irish. Um, where where has he gone from a guy where we thought he was about to be, you know, the next big thing? Noah Togiai, where has he gone outside of UCLA? He hasn't been a factor in a couple years. This is what I'm saying is that. We see that these we see spurts of of their athletes and how athletic and great players they are, but they can't do it consistently. And that's something that has to be coached, something that's put on the players as well. And, you know, I think Isaiah Hodgins has obviously taken that next step and become that consistent go to receiver, like you were saying, Bob, because I've seen the kid put in work, man. He's probably the most humble kid I ever met. All he wants to do is win. It doesn't matter if he has to be a blocking receiver, doesn't matter if he has to catch the touchdowns. Or do whatever. He's willing to do it because if you watch the film, like I have, you know, hundreds of times trying to figure out what went wrong, Isaiah's the only guy you'll see run 25 yards down the field still blocking his guy. Right. So those are the kind mm-hmm. of extra things that you need to see from guys in order for them to, you know, make that jump and be those go to guys. Because, like I said, man, Tyshawn Lindsay has all the talent in the world. And maybe it's on Jake Luton, maybe it's on the coaches, or maybe it's on Tyshawn. We don't know. But I know for a fact, after not only watching that UCLA game, but you see him against Oklahoma State, you see him in these little spurts where you're like, man, is it just me or does he kind of look like James Rogers the way he plays, right, with his, you know, mm-hmm. his electric ability to just make plays happen. And it's something that I keep scratching my head saying, why are we not designing plays to get this guy the ball? So you're right. Regardless if it's whoever it's on, the Beavers need more. They need somebody to step up. 
and it it doesn't matter if it's the coaches, Jake Luton, like I was saying, or the receiver. Someone has to do it because the offense, the offense at some point they get stale. And when Isaiah's not catching passes and AP isn't breaking off twenty yard runs, they don't really go anywhere. And this is an offense that we said is going to be high powered and arguably towards the top of the conference. So where do you think the Beavers go from here? You know, the, the next two mm-hmm. games are both on the road against California and Arizona. And Cal's defense uh, may be a- as good as Utah's, maybe not yeah. quite as good, but, but certainly in that caliber. And, you know, looking at the Golden Bears, the, the offense is definitely a little lackluster with the you know, Devin Modster filling in for the injured Chase Garber as a quarterback. I don't really know at this point kind of what to make of Arizona as the Wildcats. You have looking, they've got two tight Pac-12 wins over Colorado and UCLA. They weren't competitive really. Well, they were in the, the Washington game for, for the first half before the Huskers yeah. pulled away. To me, both of these games feel winnable uh, from an Oregon State perspective, but I guess it just is all kind of about how the team bounces back. I think it's yeah. also, I mean, it's certainly going to help. It looks like linebacker A.B. Roberts, who missed the Utah game with the concussion, that was a big loss, and it looks like he's going to be able to return this week. Running back Jamar Jefferson, uh, his status is a little bit more murky, but the Beavers have good depth at running back. Mm-hmm. Still, I, I think that you could you could realistically see a path for the Beavers to pick up uh, one of these two games on the road. I guess what what are your <clears throat> sort of the thoughts about this two-game uh, road trip for the Beavers? Yeah, I think they can, I mean, like you said, Bob, I think they can obviously win. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it just depends what Oregon State team you get, right? Are you going to get the team that, you know, you see in the second half against Stanford, you know, this team that you see against Hawaii, you know, put together a full game like they did against UCLA? You know, it doesn't matter. You, it, It's just, are you going to get that team? Are you going to get that productive team? And obviously it comes down to a lot of skills X's, or uh, schemes, X's and O's, all the above. But, I mean, they're certainly winnable games. And, I think when it comes to Cal, say for a good example, Cal's offense, like you were saying, Bob, is defense. You should take full advantage of this. That, you know, because their offense is out of sync. You know, I, I wouldn't cover the Ducks versus um, the Bears. And I was like, my goodness. Like, yeah, it, you know, it, it was just rough. You're like, gosh, these guys are missing throws, running backs. Uh, it's the same thing. You just have to be able to wrap up. You have to just stick to your assignment because what we saw last week on Saturday, it looked like basically what. Oregon State did in the past where they didn't trust their guys or someone wasn't doing their assignment. You do your assignment like you have, like you did against UCLA. I mean, don't get me wrong. UCLA has, they have a guy who has the most all purpose yards in the conference, arguably in the country. I think he's top 10, maybe even top five. It's not like UCLA doesn't have good athletes because their offense is, is all about getting guys the ball in open field and letting them go. Right. And that's something that we've seen Oregon State struggle with. Now you get a team like Cal where it's okay. It's, it's physical on physical. And we saw it against Stanford where if it comes to being toe-to-toe physicality-wise, Oregon State is right up there. They can do those kind of things. Coach Smith and his staff have done a great job of getting their guys in that area. But what they have to do is they have to be consistent, and the guys have to trust one another. It's the same thing. Anytime you go on the road, it's going to be hard. But I think a good thing for the defense is this is where you can get your momentum and kind of your confidence back when you're going up against you know, backup quarterbacks, you're going up against an offense that's out of sync, um, and then you go, I mean, shoot, man, if, if you're Oregon State, you have to look at this, especially if you get maybe Jamar Jefferson back. Who knows? Like you said, they have great depth, but you get Avery Roberts back, who's been a playmaker all year. You know, that's it's such big. It's a, such a big confidence boost. And this I mean, college football, man, is you ride and die on momentum. You either have it or you don't. Right. Either yeah. you are going and you and your team is feeling it. And you guys are like, whoa, we are unbeatable. 
standpoint, you're riding real low. And trust me, I've been at that real low standpoint where you're like, man, quite frankly, I don't know if we can go beat Corvallis High School. Right. And so that's like <laughs> these are the kind of things where the players, they have to stick together. Coaches, you have to bring up your players. You had a bad loss. Move on from it. Your fans are pissed off at you. We get that. Right. That's that's OK. It happens. Right. I mean, shoot. We have Oregon State fans who were pissed off when Coach Riley was winning eight, nine games a year. So it's it's not it's not a thing of, you know, worrying about the outside outside being me as well, because I know I, I criticize them just as much as the next person. But if you're Oregon State, these are super winnable games, extremely winnable games. Take full advantage of it. Be understand that you can have a bad loss to the best team in the conference. That's OK. But how are you going to respond from that? Are you going to let Utah beat you? you know, three weeks in a row. I hope not. Right now it's okay. We took the loss. Let's move on. Special teams play better. Make your kicks offense. Be in sync. Get more guys involved. Isaiah Hodgins. Keep doing what you're doing. Artavis Pierce. Keep doing what you're doing. Jake Luton. He's been phenomenal. He has as as much as people want to see Tristan Jebbia. Jake Luton isn't on the Maxwell award for no reason. Obviously he is playing pretty dang well. The P uh, the pro football focus just, <clears throat> excuse me, came out with a list of the top quarterbacks through six weeks. Jake Luton was above Justin Herbert. I mean, come on. That's as, as a Beaver guy and as Beaver fans, you guys should eat that up, right? <laughs> it's the no same kidding. thing, you know. Defensive-wise, you get Avery Roberts back. You have Hamaka Rashid playing big time. You just need your defensive backs to play okay, and you guys can, you know, either keep it close or dominate that cow offense, man. I mean, they're just – there's nothing flashy about them. They don't really have great receivers. Um Running back-wise, they have a great running back in Chris Brown, but all you have to do is wrap up. That's it. Because the quarterback, he can beat you with his legs, but you have athletic, uh, talented outside linebackers who, if you want to, you know, peep on him or whatever you want to do, right? The scheme, it and obviously I'm making it sound a lot easier than it is, but <laughs> what I'm trying to say is Oregon State, they have a chance to kind of flip their season. Say they, not, say they win these next two games, I can guarantee you all critics are gone, silent. It doesn't matter. Same thing. My last season when we beat the Ducks, uh, we lost a tough one to uh, Christian McCaffrey, Bryce Love at Stanford. That's okay. What did we do? We came back. We smashed Arizona like 57 to 14. And the week after that, we're like, all right, let's do this. Here we go. Civil War. We end that game. We ended up winning four games at my last season. But I don't think anyone cared since we beat the Ducks. I think this college football is all about riding the momentum wave. And Oregon State's momentum might be down, but you get a win at Cal and you could ride that out the rest of the season and and truly make a big difference and hopefully take that next step for this program to turn it around. Yeah, I'll get you out of here on this, Marcus, because you've kind of referenced it a couple of times. I mean, you you endured the difficult 2015 season as a player, you know, Gary Anderson's first year in Corvallis, and then you were right there the following year as it appeared kind of that foundation uh, was starting to be laid before, you know, things completely fell mm-hmm. uh, apart the following year. <laughs> but I guess as, as a player, you know, I mean, what, what's it like going through a rebuild? Because you guys, you know, went, went two and 10 in Gary Anderson's first year. It was a what is what is two and 10 or 111. I can't remember. I think it might have been 111. But you guys won yeah. four games. You guys won four games the following year, a huge <laughs> jump. And I feel like if this year's Oregon State team were to get to four and eight, I feel like that would be seen as a really, you know, big, important step in the program as, as well. So I guess just from a player's perspective, what's kind of what, what, what is it like when you're trying to take a program that you, it's at the bottom of the Pac-12 and trying to work so hard to get that thing rolling to where you can get, you know, going to bowl games kind of regularly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, man. It's a 
you have to dig deep because I, I came from a Coach Riley era, you know, getting recruited in 2013 where Oregon State was in the top 15. Um, mm-hmm. They went to the Alamo Bowl. They lost a close game to Texas. But, I mean, Oregon State was, what, they go 6-1 and one or 6-0 and oh or something like that, beating top 25 teams left and right, talent all over the place. I was like, Oregon State is a place I want to be. Chose Oregon State over University of Oregon, University of Washington, Boise State, uh, and then you know, I'm feeling like, whew, here we go. Like, we got we got something good going. Following year, I think we won six games, five games maybe, um, or seven. I can't remember. Shoot, I'm, I'm getting old, man. But um, <laughs> yes, me too. We, we beat uh, <clears throat> Boise State and Hawaii Bowl following year after that. Coach Riley was last year. A bunch of things. Basically, what I'm trying to say is when you, when you go from winning games, regardless if you go to bowl games or not, and then all of a sudden you have such a big drop-off. That's why I put it so much on the players because I think a lot of the time – as fans, right, what we want to see is, all right, new coach comes in. All right, win us some games. That's what we brought you here to do is win games. So when that doesn't happen, right, people want to go at the coaches, want to be like, why can't he do this? Why can't he do this? Don't get me wrong. Corvallis is a very hard place to win. And as an Oregon State fan, you guys should know that, right? You have to build something here. And that's what he's trying to do. The wins aren't going to come left and right, right? But when they do, they'll come in, they'll come in bunches like they have been, right, before. So as a player – it's it's so hard because you want to stay committed and you know very some people do and some people don't right you see some players who stay committed you see other players who transfer because they feel like they will have a you know a better opportunity somewhere else i saw the light at the end of the tunnel i did because i was like okay we're getting these guys back we're going to take that next step we're going to do this i at the time i was like our coaching staff they're you know they're, they're they bought into us as players so let's do this thing and then obviously everything falls off and then you have to go back down to square one, which is tough because a lot of these guys have been through so much change. But as a player, man, <clears throat> if you don't understand that there's light at the end of the tunnel, especially as a team, you guys will never they'll, they'll never make it because I'm telling you, when we first beat Callen overtime at home, that 2000 what was it, 16 season, it felt like we won the Super Bowl, man. I mean, we were like crowd surfing we were you know we we're chest bump we we're going crazy that night i don't know if i ever drank so much alcohol in my entire life but <laughs> but it's the fact of like that that's the sweet victory and i remember seeing fans i saw fans crying i saw you know students crying and it was i was like all we did was win one pack 12 game but that's the impact of all of us being together this whole time and we held each other down until finally we started seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and then once we beat the Ducks, that's when we all cried, right? Everyone's crying. Everyone's, you know, chest bumping, hugging fans, crowd surfing again. But that's because we earned that. We earned those wins. Even though it wasn't a lot, we laid the foundation. Obviously, one thing led to another and someone ripped it out from under us. That being said, that's what Coach Smith is trying to do. He's trying to bring back the love of football in Corvallis, and the players have to understand that. Players have to put it upon themselves. Before I go, Bob, is – I always preach this on my podcast is there's a, there's a guy, obviously you guys know him by the name of Hamaka Rashid. I remember I first saw him and I was like, that dude is huge. I was like, this dude is a beast, but he didn't understand the playbook. He wasn't very disciplined. And then I remember one day I got to the stadium super early, way earlier. Cause I had rehab for my ACL. I got there, I think at four 30 in the morning and we had a run at, I want to say six 45. And so I was walking past the field and who I, I look out and I see ham I see him running lines and stairs at like 445 or 430 before our run 
before what our actual workout, two workouts, and then practice. He's out there running wow. sprints. That's where I'm like, this is where I know that he understands. And obviously, it might not have shown, you know, two seasons ago. We might have got a, a little taste last year, but now it's coming in full swing where you see all the work he's put in. That's why he leads the conference in tackles for loss, and he's top 10 nationally for sacks. That, those are the kind of things where if you're a player and you're trying to build something up and you're going through the slums, all you, your only choice is to grind because if you give up, then you have no idea what's going to come. You're not going to experience the good. You're only going to experience the bad. So that's what I would say as a player standpoint. Keep your head down. Keep grinding. I know it sounds cliche, but I'm telling you, when you see someone like Hamika Rashid go, you know, do extra stuff in the summertime, don't go to parties, don't do all this, and then you see it 100% translate over to the field, it's a feel-good story. And that's why I always, I'll always refer to Ham as one of those guys. When Oregon State finally gets back to winning, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, hopefully 11 games in a season, I'm going to refer to Hamiko Rashid as one of the guys that laid that foundation as a for real player. I can totally see that. And that's friend of the program, Hamaka Rashid. He was nice enough to uh, sit down with me for a bit before the season. And yeah, you can tell he's a very, very focused, uh, very mm -hmm. intelligent kid who works hard. And um, I can't say that I'm surprised at all with the season he's having. I mean, to me, it looks like he's uh, he's turned himself into someone who's going to get a look to be an edge rusher in the NFL with the way he's been able to get after the quarterback this year. Oh gosh, absolutely. I mean, the kid's just a <laughs> athletic freak. I mean, I don't want to say specimen because I don't even know if that's uh, that sounds kind of weird to me. But I don't know. I don't <laughs> he know. Kind of is though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what is he like? He's like six three, six four. You have. He's fast, athletic. I mean, dude, strong, great player, great kid. I mean, you're right. He there's there's a couple people who you know. A good example is Brandon Cooks. I was told before I got to Oregon State that Brandon Cooks was really good, but he was not the Brandon Cooks that we knew. But he forced himself to be that good. He forced it. I think that's what Hamaker Rashid is doing now is forcing himself to be an NFL prospect. Marcus, thanks so much uh, for joining the show today. Your insights are uh, absolutely uh, invaluable. I really appreciate it. I guess before you go, though, can you tell my uh, tell my listeners about your uh, about your podcast you got going? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, <clears throat> I have two. The first, let me go with. I was thinking good news or bad news first. I'll go with the bad news for you guys first. <laughs> bad news sounds like a good way. I have a. Duck podcast here at, at uh, Coin Six News in Portland. It's called Ducking Around. That's that's basically the uh, only thing I'll say about that. Uh, <laughs> other one, it is Beaver Smack. And um, for those of you who followed maybe the damn podcast, like listening to the damn podcast, with my new job here at Coin, uh, I actually gave up the damn podcast, gave it back to Angie full time and Carter Baines at Beaver Blitz. Now, <clears throat> mine's kind of the same thing, you know, just talking. Oregon State Athletics, um, I like to get a lot of former players on. We had Marcus Wheaton on a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, Angie obviously hops on with me as news and notes, so does Carter. Um, and then Daryl Garrettson, former Oregon State quarterback, hops on with me. We break down kind of film what Oregon State needs to do in order to get the win or what the other opposing team is going to try to do. Um, really insightful. It's for more X's and O's. has a little bit of recruiting news, but, you know, mostly it's mostly game-to-game -game type stuff, so – Go give that a listen. It's on, you know, coin.com if you guys are interested. I obviously always tweet that out and put it all over my social media. So be, for to, be sure to go follow that as well. And, uh, Bob, man, I really appreciate you having me on.
Oh no, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, us in the us in the Beaver, you know, the Beaver college sports uh, media world out here, we all stick together because I think what I've found is the type of person that would, you know, want to read my stuff or listen to my podcast. If they're a Beaver fan, they probably want to see and hear a lot of other stuff too. So I don't even necessarily think a lot of us are competing. I think that we all kind of have the same base and we just gotta have to give everyone as much content, as much good content as we can, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And sometimes I might come off a little harsh. I apologize if I do, but hey, this coming. I'm trying to be real with you guys uh, from a former player standpoint. <laughs> Absolutely, Marcus. Uh, thanks again. Uh, I'm going to take uh, one more break and be back to uh, wrap up today's show. Perfect. Thanks, Bob. From Guild Coliseum to Reeser Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. That will do it for today's show. I I haven't talked much basketball uh yet on the beaver buzz podcast this fall and since uh the men and women will be starting before long i'll I'll try to have some sort of basketball content on next week's show i i have a feeling that both teams are set up for very good years in the pac-12 conference you know I, i know that a lot of fans are a little down on the men just kind of for how last year finished but I really do think this team has the goods to get back to the NCAA tournament. And, and the women should be making uh, another deep postseason run with Michaela Pivik, Destiny Slocum, and others back in the fold. I think it's going to be a really, really good winner for OSU men's and women's basketball. As always, thanks for listening uh, to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast podcast network. Uh, enjoy the weekend uh, full of football, everyone. And I will, I will be back next week with another program.